welcome back to Backbeat Conversations, the York Music Group Podcast. Uh, here on this podcast, we'd like to focus on connecting different facets of the music industry. And I'm Elena Mario. And I'm Elena Henry. And today, our special guest is Samantha Rivers. Hi, everyone. How's it going? All right, Sam, can you give the listeners a brief introduction of yourself? Hi. So, yeah, um, like they said, my name's Samantha Rivers. Um, currently to them, I'm the assistant studio manager at York College of Pennsylvania. But other than that, I do sort of independent production, freelancing, mixing. I did the mixing for the theme song for this podcast, actually. And I work for sort of an assistant for Carl Boehner, uh, who does a lot of again, production, mixing, it, it's kind of a, you'll hear this a lot in the industry, but just like a lot of peop- different hats that you have to wear. Um, and so that's sort of what I do is just whatever needs doing. That's fair. I think that's how a lot of people get their foot in the door is just by doing whatever needs to be done. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you kind of have to be willing to do like any odd job so that people just recognize your face and they go, oh, that person will do things for me. <laughs> they might be useful. Yeah. So, Sam, why did you decide to come to your college and be a Mert major? I'd say it was kind of, I think at the time I, because there were a couple of different colleges I was considering when I, I first applied to York. And the main thing was that I knew I wanted to work with, with sound and technology. And I wasn't sure whether I wanted to go into like sound design or whether I wanted to do production or recording or what have you. And so actually what convinced me to go to York wasn't so much like the program or that I was settled on music so much as just that I really liked the college being on campus. Just it's that cliche. You just feel like you're at home sort of thing. So yeah, I came to York and I was like, you know, I'm just going to go here and I'm going to, I'll end up in music technology. And I just kind of never looked back. I, I had been doing music production for a while prior to, to coming here, um, but I just hadn't settled on exactly how I wanted to use what I'd been picking up. So it was kind of a combination of the two things that I, I knew somewhat what I was doing, but also that where I was decided the path forward from there. That's really cool. I I think that's actually the first time I've heard you say it wasn't the program, it was the college. Yeah, because we've had a lot of like, it was the program, it was money, it was all kinds of things. But that, yeah, that was the first time we've had someone say it was the college. I mean, to be fair, it was 100% that like it was among colleges that were narrowed down based on money and based on um, based on programs. You know, like I, I wanted to go somewhere that had some sort of audio program and also somewhere that wouldn't cost like 60 grand a year to attend. Um, (laughs) so York was on the shortlist, um, and it just ended up winning out over other schools that I was looking at for reasons that had less to do with the program than to do with the, the school itself. So you've been the assistant studio manager at York. Uh, what's that been like? Um, it's been really great during quarantine because there's been (laughs) nothing to do. (laughs) Um, but it still looks just as good on my resume. No, in seriousness, um, it's been, it's been an interesting time. Um, we've, because it's been me and it's also been our, our studio staff. Um, and then 
of course, in charge of all of it is Dan Meyer, who's our studio manager. Um, so that's been, I would say, the most of the situation where it's like um, sort of what we were talking about earlier, like you do whatever you have to do, like whatever needs doing. So it's been a lot of like, oh, the studio needs cleaning or the back room needs getting taken care of or we have to move things from point A to point B. And whenever something like that comes up, it's my job to volunteer and go, hey, (laughs) Um, if only you had an assistant to move stuff or whatever. Um, So, yeah, it's been nice. It's been nice to be able to help out around the studio. um, And it's been nice to be able to, to do stuff on that front. Um, I, I feel like as much as anything, it's been a little bit of a, um, almost a prestige thing where like, like when we go and do recording sessions, I feel like people look to me to know what's going on or to get things done. And I think part of that is like, just that I've been in the program longer than some of the other people here, but also part of it is they're like, oh, the assistant studio manager, she can help me with whatever it is that we're doing. Um, and I'll look at them and I'll be like, ah. I can pretend I know what's going on. Um, I know. I'm always like, Sam, what wire? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's funny because that's not really, I mean, that's not part of the, the job description per se, but it's kind of what you would think the job description would be. And so that's, I think that's what people look to me for when it comes to like, what do we go to Sam for? No one goes, oh, I need something big and heavy moved. Let's get Sam on the job. They go, <laughs> oh, which wire do we need to get plugged? Which, I mean, is also part of the job description, but... Um, right. It's kind it's of... Just... Like, to the... To the students, and probably, I would say, majority freshmen, because they're like, I want to help, and then they go, oh, I don't know what's going on. It's kind of like, when Dan walks out of the room, it's like, Dan's employee? <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> yeah. like, you're, you're trying and you're like, all right, I've tried this wire seven times in three different configurations. I need someone to tell me what to do now. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's just been kind of the funny part is that there's a little bit of a disparity between like what Dan puts me on the job for versus what other people look to me to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's all part of it's a little bit loosely defined, but it's it's right. always fun. Uh, so how did you get into art development, Alex? So yeah, that was um, that was actually kind of it was both separate and related. Um, because again, one of the things is that people sort of look to me to be on the recording end of things a lot of times in like recording sessions at York, but it was also just that I had known Alex and Will and I wasn't like super close with them but I knew that they were doing some cool stuff and so when they went and they auditioned to be the signed artist for York um for York volume I reached out to them and I was like I think that your stuff's really cool I want to work with you and essentially take you up in like an artist development sort of way um and part of that was because and I forgot to mention this earlier actually um I also I do education a lot. Um, I teach lessons virtually, which has come very much in handy over the course of the pandemic. Um, But yeah, so I I saw what they were doing and I was like, I would like to work with you and see if there's anything that I can offer, like from an educational front. Um, And that's proven that's that's been a lot of fun and it's been very rewarding. Um, 
and they were very excited to work with me. I sat down with Will and I showed him like, oh, here's like some more advanced concepts of like how a synthesizer works and that sort of stuff. Or like, um, here's a way that like I'll get drums to get polished in such and such a way and that sort of stuff. Whereas with Alex, it was a little bit more, um, it's funny because I, and I should say this for context for any listeners who aren't aware, Alex is the, the vocalist of the group and Will is their producer. Um, so with Will, it's very much been, a, a like a, a straight ahead educational role where it's been me teaching him how to do stuff that I know how to do that he's sort of more of a creative type, whereas I'm more of a technical type. So there's a lot of technical knowledge that I can pass on to him. Um, whereas with Alex, it's more of like, I almost feel like I'm more of just a second set of ears for him. Um, and not necessarily in a bad way, but just that it's, I, I can sing and I know a lot about like the, not a lot, but I know about the mechanics of, of singing and of being a vocalist. So I can give him specific feedback in that way, but it's less of what I do for a career, the way that what Will's doing is. So, yeah, I mean, it wasn't anything, I guess, sort of in response, getting back to your original question, it wasn't like anything crazy happened that led to me doing development for them. I literally just reached out to them and was like, I like what you guys are doing. Can I help? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I, I should also say part of it was that they, they had seen me do that sort of stuff also. Um, to, they'd seen my feedback. They, I'd worked with Will in the past. Like he'd asked me for mix feedback at some point. Um, and I'd helped him with some of the stuff that I was doing. So it wasn't like I just cold called them and was like, Oh, Hey, how's it going? Uh, I think your music is cool and I want to be your teacher. I feel like that would be a little bit, um, a little weird if I hadn't already like worked with them to an extent before, but yeah. So that, I guess that's all that was. Yeah, you have to, like, have the connection. Yeah. Like, when you get to college, they're, like, don't have some opportunities. Even if you're not going to get paid or even if you a favor or, like, whatever. Because, yeah, a lot of times when you cold call people, they're like, oh, that's odd. And maybe they won't respond. <laughs> you know what's funny? In my experience... I've found that when you cold call people, you get that response and sometimes you'll get like a yes, but a lot of times it ends with them flaking out. Like I've cold called people and I've gotten gigs that way, but it just has not been. I think when you form that connection with someone, you create that bond that leads them to form something more stable than just sort of a a handshake that they don't care enough about to actually go through with what they're saying they're going to do with you. Right. Yeah, and it's also not to say that cold calls don't always work, because as soon as I said that, I was like, well, wait, cold calling is definitely how I got my internship. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. So, you know, do it. It's just that your, but... your best bet is not a cold call. Your best bet is someone you sort of know that knows that you're, like, dependable and reliable, mm-hmm. and then one day you guys cross paths again, and they're like, let me offer you, or you offer them something. And so it's like... They talk about connections a lot, and I think they don't really go about telling you how to get them, because they make them seem like a like a business transaction. And I think like Dan is really good at being like they're not. You can't treat people like transactions and expect them to help you out. You just have to make friends, and maybe they can help you out one day. Right. Because I know a thing that my dad does is because he's a business guy, 
Like that's his thing is that he has this idea of how I'm supposed to make connections, but it's very transactional. Like it's very marketing, call this person and then keep in touch with them because they might be able to do something for you rather than like, oh, this person's really cool and chill and right. Or like, hey, dude, I like your music. And then later they're like, hey, can you write something for me or whatever? Mm-hmm. Anyway, that was a tangent, but <laughs> <laughs> so Sam, how did you know you wanted to be a teacher? It's funny because it was really, I think for me, it was almost a confidence thing. I hadn't really thought about it until there there was this time that I was at, I was at a panel at some point where they were talking about arrangement and they were looking at some track that I had made a while back. And like it, the point of the panel was that it was these two professionals that like would give feedback on your work and so on. And one of the guys was like, well, you should be up here on the panel, honestly. And I, I think he was partially joking, but also I was, I was sort I was very encouraged by that. And I was like, you know, you got a good point. I know what I'm doing here and I could be helping people with this. And so it's just been kind of from there. The other side of it is that there's not a lot of knowledge out there when it comes to a lot of the things that I do. And it's something of a frustration of mine when it comes to the way that it works with academia, not with your college in particular, but just in general that it it's a new field and it evolves quickly. And so it's just hard to get it in a college form. And so I think one of the th- things that Elena has been highlighting that college is great for is for connections and for learning things from people about like mindset and how to get out there and do stuff and that sort of thing but when it comes to the the more technical side of things it's just hard to get that information and it's hard to get someone who's a current professional in the industry to settle down and be a college professor essentially when i started off and there's even been more information out there literally since i started doing it because i started like about seven ish years ago and since then there's been more knowledge available online but it used to be even then and I'm sure before that it was even harder to figure out what the heck you were doing so I the way I look at teaching is it's a way of saving people from having to go through all of the the time of and hassle of going through all the information that's out there and weeding out the misinformation from what's actually helpful and also just I I really enjoy tailoring and individualizing the approach that I take to teaching and that's something that that I've found a lot of enjoyment out of is getting to work with someone who's doing like indie type music or someone who's doing synthwave or that sort of thing maybe someone who wants to compose for video game soundtracks each different student is going to need different approaches and that's a lot easier to do on a personalized basis than it is sort of like again teaching for a class so it's it's been twofold it's been that I I'm teaching because I enjoy it for me and I'm also teaching because I enjoy it sort of as a niche in the market that I feel like I'm doing something that's useful to people that would be hard for them to get otherwise. That's really cool. Yeah, that's actually really interesting. Yeah. Because I know what we come up with in dance class is that there's 18 people in there and one computer. Yeah. And like like one board. So it's like it's hard to get that individual tailored experience like that you offer. And also, oh, in dance class. I heard that yes. as dance class, and I <laughs> no, take a second. Sorry. <laughs> I've definitely confused people with that before. I was like, I'm going to dance class, and people were like, we have dance class today, and I was like, no, dance class, like the moving kind. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, that is sort of, like, those are along the lines of, 
of how I think of it is like, and Dan will also, I don't know if I should be quoting him on this, but um, he, I think that it's also his opinion that, and he's trying to push for more individualized student experiences for that exact reason. Um, and so it's, it's not to say that we're not trying to make those changes at York or that in general academia isn't trying to go in that direction. Right. Um, it's just that it's, again, it's hard to get things to go where they need to go in something that's so, so fast and changing so quickly. Um, and yeah, it's hard to give people that individualized hands-on time in a situation where there's 18 kids in a class. Right. And I think colleges are starting to see that, like the ones who are like, okay, let's teach people how to be mix engineers, how to be producers, how to be live sound people. Like let's teach them all the sound things, teach them all the music things. I think they're starting to see that like what they're used to, like the way to teach math is you find someone with like, you know, an education degree in math and then you hire them and they teach math class. And that just doesn't exist in the audio world. Like, I've heard across the board that colleges are like, we need someone with a master's degree in audio engineering. And it's like, there's just not many of those. Because like you said, it's kind of just, you'll learn it and then you do it. And then people really don't have a whole lot of interest in any professor. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's, I think you touched on something important there, which is the the sort of different set of credentials for what makes someone a good professor, a good professor in the world of academia versus what makes someone good at teaching in the world of audio. Um, because again, like if I were looking for someone that I wanted to have teach me, I would want someone who was out in the field doing stuff and making connections and actively producing or mixing or doing live shows or what have you versus someone who had like there's so much more value to me in someone who's really been out there doing this stuff and getting results and making music that moves people than there is in someone who spent an additional two years of their lives getting a master's degree right whereas when it comes to the hiring process it's often seen totally the other way around um and i i've i know audio professionals who like when looking at whether they want to teach at a collegiate level one of the turnoffs can be what am I really going to get out of a master's degree? You know, like that I'm not going to get like that. First off, that's a couple of like, that's years out of their paycheck that they could just be going out and earning money from working in the industry. And also it's not going to make, I mean, not that it won't make them a better teacher, but just that there's, again, I think it's a more complicated process than that. I think that there's, there's good people for teaching who don't have master's degrees and there are people with master's degrees that aren't necessarily qualified. And I think that's especially true in something where, um, again, where the education is so young as it is in the audio industry. Yeah. Because like when I was visiting colleges, they would have to take me to like a separate like building sometimes. Cause they'd be like, our program is so new for audio technology. Like the one in New York is in like Brooklyn now. Like, it can't even be with the rest of NYU. And then Drexel was in, like, an office building, like, in the basement. That's where their studio is. Because our our program is so new. And so I think that navigating how to hire people and what works best to teach this kind of thing is still in its infancy, as Sam said. 
Yeah. I think it's starting to, I think they're starting to turn the page though and go, okay, if we want to have these programs, clearly the way that we've been going about trying to hire people is not the way. And also just want to point out one more time, this is not York specific and this is also not to turn anybody off from getting any type of music degree. They're wonderful. They're fantastic, but just they're important. Right. Food for thought. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Just consider <Yeah>. it. Because <laughs> it's not bad that they're they're new. You know, everything is new once. Right. They've been teaching English for hundreds of years. <laughs> they're really good at teaching English now. <laughs> but our technology changes like every ten years, so it's hard to get a standard. So, at Backbeat Conversations, we're always trying to connect people from one facet of the industry to another. So. Sam, what do you look for in an artist if you're going to produce someone? In an artist? Yeah, that's tough. I I should say also that, and again, I go back and forth on it, but I've really been working with mixing a lot more than production lately. So that's a little bit of a tough thing to say. But I, I would say if I'm looking to produce for someone, I just want it to be someone that like, first off, someone that I know that like I'm going to have fun producing them. Um, and secondly, that it's going to be someone that I think the most important thing for me as a producer is that the artist comes in with a clear idea of what they want. And I know that that's very me specific. So I'm not going to say like, if you're an artist and you want to get a producer, then know what you want. Um, (laughs) but I am going to say, if you're an artist and you want me to produce you know what you want. Um, and part of that is like, one of the things I really enjoy about being a producer is that it frees me from having to there's a degree to which I don't have to specialize as much and I just love so many different types of music that I don't know that I could specialize so I can't settle down and go oh I'm gonna be like a hip-hop artist or a blues artist or like a a country artist or whatever I just love to be able to do everything so if an artist comes in and says I want this to be a straight ahead like 100% hip-hop production or oh I want this to be pop or um like give me your best metal track like that's a project for me and I can get behind that whereas if they come in and they just say here's my song make it good I don't know what I'm gonna do with that it's good (laughs) you're like uh (laughs) well I could use a little more instruction yeah and I mean the other side of it is like it's not that I have anything against an open-ended project per se but just Again, that I really like, um, and this is something that I've heard from other, from producers and especially like from mix engineers, is that we, like on the tech side of things, tend to see ourselves as a means to an end. We're here to help the artist. We're not the artist. If we wanted to be the artist, we would be the artist. So if you come in and you've got this mission and this vision that you want to create, I would rather that someone came in with a mission and a vision and I had to turn them away because it, I didn't feel like I was the right fit for it than that I had to turn them away because they felt too wishy-washy about it, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. It's more efficient that way, too, because there's less wasted time, like, on the front end of it. So what do you... This is kind of a similar question, but what do you look for in the studio position if you've ever had... Um, a studio musician. I think in that case, what I would be looking for is that they're a good fit for the project. And that's, again, a situation where where what I'm looking at is, like, 
on the one end, there's the vision, and on the other end, there's the fulfillment of the vision. And I see studio musicians as being sort of similar to the types of jobs that I do, where it's not about what we want to accomplish. It's about us helping someone else accomplish their goals. So if I'm looking for a drummer or a guitarist or a didgeridoo player, I want them to be really good at whatever style or whatever vision the artist wants to have. That's, I'm like trying to find that word. That's a very like put together way of finding good people to hire. Yeah, and I think I think the other thing is to that like there's an extent to which there are just so many freaking people in the music industry. And so I think that being unafraid to narrow it down for sometimes arbitrary reason, just to save yourself, I think as Elena put it, the like time on the front end is helpful sometimes. So if I'm just like, if I'm just reaching out to people I know or people that they know, I'm okay with not getting the best drummer for the album. Right. I just want someone who can show up, do a good job take their paycheck and go home. And I want to make sure also that I'm not getting a funk drummer for a metal record or vice right. versa, you know? So I think like, I, I think if those two criteria are met, I'm okay with getting 98% the, like the best drummer I could get instead of scouring the earth for every drummer that there is for a project. Yeah. That makes total sense to me. Yeah, for sure. That's a very good answer. So what do you think about the music industry right now? Like, at this moment, what are your thoughts? Oh, gosh. Um, I think the music industry is in a little bit of an awkward place right now because, again, kind of looking at it in a historical context, we're coming into it, and we've been here for a while, but we're still trying to figure out what to do. We're in this place where we don't know what to do about the value of music. We've got streaming services. We've got digital, which people aren't buying digital as much anymore they're just going to streaming vinyls kind of making a comeback cds maybe they'll make a comeback <laughs> next i don't know but they've been dead for a while regardless so you've got you know the current hip advice is live shows are where it's at um which the whole quarantine thing has had both issues and opportunities for live performances and so the question becomes, well, if there's just less money in it right now than there used to be once upon a once, like, what are we doing? Where do we get our money from? Um, how do we get people to give us money <laughs> for doing things? And <laughs> right now. that, I think, is a, a super reasonable question that a lot of college students in particular are trying to figure out after investing a bunch of money in a, a program that's supposed to help them earn okay. money. And I, I think that the real answer in this case is that there's not there's not security in the music industry. And that's, I think the, the biggest thing is that there's not, you don't just walk in for a nine to five job the way that maybe once upon a time you could have. And I, I think that the, there are the opportunities for that. You can still go and try to bust into a major label, but I, I think that the, depending on what you want to do, if you want to work at guitar center, then your opportunities are great. If you want to do like A&R work, if you want to do advertising, maybe you want to double major or get a minor or heck go to grad school, then that's those opportunities I think are also there to an extent because that's kind of like a, again, that falls under the, a more corporate category. But what we're seeing is that in the world of what I do, the production side of things, the tech side of things, 
there's not as much demand. And so that infrastructure is kind of falling apart. We don't have people looking to book big studios because you can make a Grammy winning album in your bedroom nowadays, you know? So you can't anymore go and just be the assistant at some studio and work your way up the chain and expect that to be your career path. You can get lucky and have it happen, but there's not that security that it will happen. And I think you pointed out, like, it's amazing that you can make a grimy winning record from your bedroom. Like, didn't, like... Oh, for sure. The the Billie Eilish, I forget if it was a song or a record, but didn't she win, like, six Grammys, and then her brother won, like, five, she, and they made it in a bedroom? Yeah, she won all the, all the categories, all the major categories. And, like, that's pretty cool. I know she was, like, talking to her, but, like, it's... <laughs> cool that you can do that from your house like that's super cool but at the same time i feel like that's kind of one of the reasons like you said that like is there just less money in the industry now because literally anybody can be like i'm gonna put something on spotify we are literally putting this on spotify so <laughs> yeah and we're making this in our bedroom so right. like what are we doing <laughs> where's our grammy <laughs> And that's the other thing is that it it's such a globalized economy also, because if now you're competing with everyone, not just the people nearby enough to be worth going to, because you can go anywhere now because of the Internet. So you can just give your stems to some dude on soundbetter.com who will, which if I'm not messing up my domain extensions, that's an actual website where you can get like $50 mixes <laughs> as well as ones that cost like a more reasonable amount of money but the point being that like if you want to compete with everybody you have to be better than everybody um so it's just it's a very competitive marketplace and there's not that security it's much more i think i think freelancing is sort of the where the music tech side of things is at and that comes with all of the benefits and the drawbacks of being a freelance worker yeah because there's lots of musicians sitting at home now trying to figure out where their money's going to come from because there are no gigs. <laughs> Julia just made a face. <laughs> oh, I sure did. Julia said, that's not me at all. Yeah. And I think, because Dr. Young was talking the other day about how it's very much a, still a gig economy, and I think that also factors in, like, it's just probably basically another word for freelance, just very specific to musicians. Yeah. I had a kid ask me one time if gig was a real word from a different <laughs> major. I was like, yeah, I have a gig later. And he was like, oh, I thought that was a made-up word. I didn't think people really said that. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Being a music uh, major is so interesting, especially when you have to talk to people outside of your major because they're doing, like, biology and shit, and you're like, I'm putting chords in an order. <laughs> <laughs> and I have been doing that for three hours, and they just think you're silly. Sorry, sometimes I go off on tangents, but it's all right. So, Sam, another industry question for you. How do you navigate the music industry as a trans woman? I would say very much the same as anyone else. I think that, and this is one of those things that, like, and I know you reached out to me beforehand asking, like, can we talk about this? Is this something that you're comfortable talking about on the podcast? Um, And so I put a little bit of, I thought about it a little. And I think that, I've heard it said that the only thing that you can say about all Americans is that they like ice in their water. 
And I think that trans women are kind of the same way, that we have a complicated experience, but not a unified one. And so it's difficult to say, I'm transgender, and so I have these specific issues that all transgender women have, because that's just not true of most of the things that we go through. We'll experience dysphoria in different ways. We'll experience discrimination in different ways. For me, in my personal life, it's a major pain. But in the world of business, it's mostly a benefit because I don't pass as a woman particularly well. And so people just assume I'm a dude and treat me accordingly. And that's better. (laughs) I'll be blunt about that. (laughs) That's an advantage. But yeah, I mean, it's... It's complicated and it's it's hard to talk about in some respects. For me, I think musically the biggest thing is just vocal dysphoria. And for again, speaking for listeners who may not know dysphoria just being the the disconnect between your gender identity and the physical traits that you have. Speaking as a, a woman with a baritone voice is difficult sometimes. And one of the things that I have been appreciating that I've been seeing more and more of in the past few years has been seeing more transgender women openly using sort of their, I I hesitate to, to try to put this in a a way that will be sort of politically correct, if you will, but like their natural voice rather than trying to, to sound like their cisgender women. Um, And again, I don't, I don't begrudge any transgender woman, the right or the decision to try to change her voice to, gain respect in situations where she would otherwise not be respected or just to feel better about herself. But for me and for other transgender women that I've been seeing, I think there's comfort in just being accepted for the voice that you have rather than feeling pressured to have to change it. And again, that's not always a realistic possibility for everyone and not everyone wants that possibility. Um, But for example, our very own Witchweather band, having a woman-fronted band that has like this sort of like lower bass register not like bass bass but bass register versus treble female vocalist is very inspiring for me hearing trans women stream video games and speak in these deep rich voices i just i appreciate that sort of thing a lot um and so that's that's something that i've been sort of working with myself is i don't have a cisgender female voice and i'm not going to And that's been a hard decision to make both personally and professionally. But that, I think, for me, is the biggest way that it's affected me is because I sing. And that's just hard to grapple with is that I'll never have a voice that matches up necessarily with who I am inside. But maybe I can change how I feel about that if I can't change what it is. Yeah, that was a a really incredible answer. You pointed out something early on that I it hit me that I never thought about. Like you said, people will just assume that you're a guy and treat you accordingly, and that's an advantage. I was like, wow, she's right, and that's like, it sounds like you take it in stride, which is great, but it's also just like, that's a weird one to wrap your head around. Oh, believe me, it's a weird yeah. one to wrap your head around. Yeah, <laughs> and that's that's kind of what I mean when I say that it's complicated, is it's full of weird stuff like that, where you're like, this is beneficial to me, but it also right. sucks. And your life is just like that. <laughs> um, and all you can do is laugh because what else are you going right. to do? I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, again, it's just a weird world that we live in. And so I, I do try to take it in stride. I also thought it was really interesting that you said right away 
that you didn't want to speak for all trans women because I feel like sometimes we make the mistake of speaking for other people rather than letting them speak. And I thought that was very astute. Is that a good word? I think that's the word I'm looking for. Like a very good observation right off the bat. Yeah, and I think it also comes from just from knowing other trans women. And I think that that's like that's a big part of the puzzle no matter who you are is just being familiar with people in a community helps you understand them better. So I as someone who knows a number of transgender people, like I'm conscious of the fact that there are other trans women. Like I have dysphoria about certain things that I know that other women aren't bothered by and I have things that I enjoy about being transgender that I know that there are other trans women that like are mortified about when it comes to their appearance. I know that there are women who just like love having this sort of deep, rich, beautiful voice. And there are women who wish that they could jump it up a couple of octaves. I'm somewhere in the middle on that one. I'm focusing on the voice aspect because I don't know what I'm allowed to say on this podcast, but (laughs) you're allowed to say honestly, Um, whatever you want. So any topic that you're comfortable with, go ahead, because none of us are going to stop you. No, I'm, I'm, I, I think I've said what I'm, I, what needs to be said here, but um, I guess that's sort of all I'm saying is that, like, there are those of us who are comfortable with some things and those of us who are comfortable with others, and yeah, I've said my bit. <laughs> yeah, so I think this is a good moment for our uh, shut up and let me do it moment. Oh so at at Vale Music Conference, they said to Carly, she was on a panel, um, our COO's name is Carly Patrick, and we make fun of her for this all the time. And she was on a panel, and they were like, what's a quote that describes you? And she went first, and she said, shut up and let me do it. And we thought that was really awesome, because in this industry, we feel like there's often a moment of unexpected validation when you realize like how much you've grown and how much you can handle. So like... Can you tell us about a moment when you realize either how much you've grown or how much you could handle that you were able to say, shut up and let me do it? Uh, see, that's a funny one to me because I know the context behind Carly saying shut up and let me do it. And I know that that's her telling people off for not taking her seriously. Um and again, I know that that's also a, a gender thing that, like, in my own complicated way, I don't experience that. So that's sort of a weird place for me to put myself. Um, but just in terms of, like, feeling validated and, like, I knew what I was doing, I think, again, just going back to that that panel discussion where they were talking about, like, like, oh, your arrangement is really good with this track. I think that just hearing from from people who are further along than me that they like what I'm doing um, or that I'm doing a good job with what I'm doing. Like that never gets old, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think we talked about a little bit with um, the Alex Vince clan last podcast that it's hard because you want, you don't want to want other people's validation, but in the industry you sort of need it a little bit. So I think that happens with all artists because you're like, I know my art is good. But it doesn't matter if it's good if other people don't validate that because other people are the market. So I think that's a strange thing to navigate as an artist. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny because for me, I work very commercially. And so I actually find my validation in 
that commercial success. That's essentially my metric is if it's doing well, then I know I've done a good job. And I, I think that the way that I put it in terms of like that emotional resonance is like, that means that it's like a lot of people like it, that it is meaning something important to them. Like if it's not good enough for other people, then right. it's not good enough for me. And so I, I, I don't have that disconnect as much. I recognize that that's different for different artists, but that's just an interesting thing for me to think about as someone who who works so much in spaces where external validation and internal validation, for me, they are very inextricably linked. So uh, well, we like to lighten it up after all of that. So Sam, what is your favorite See, I would have a hard time cooking. There's so much good food in the world. I would give anything just to have a really freaking good pizza right now. Because there is... And this is a little bit of a quarantine thing, but it's also just because I come from an area that's very... There are a lot of, like, Italian immigrant families there. And it's a couple generations removed. But the pizza culture is still very deep in there. And York is just not like that. So, like... Even the Domino's in my hometown makes better pizza. And I couldn't tell you why or how, but it is better. <laughs> and so I just miss a really good pizza. So that's, I'm going to say pizza. I just love the long pause and the deep breath and the, like, I love food and then <laughs> pizza culture. That that got me really hard. I don't know why. I pizza culture. <laughs> I love asking people what their favorite food is because yeah. they're so passionate. I am very passionate about pizza. I know. My mom was like, I honestly, honest to God, Elena, let's just go get pizza. I want to risk the coronavirus. <laughs> I'm ready to risk it all. <laughs> She's like, I'm spraying the box with disinfectant and then I'm going to eat this pizza. <laughs> oh, no. All right. So if you could have any job in the world, no stipulations, if you could ask someone for a job and they would give it to you, like if a genie popped out and was like, what job do you want and you can get it? What would it be? I don't want a job. I want to retire, dude. Um, <laughs> I I don't know. That's a tough one for me. I, I do kind of stand by that. That was a joke. But like, really, I would just love to be able to to work without money being the... And it's funny because you hear me saying, oh, I want to make pop music. I want to like commercial success is my my like my metric by which I judge myself. But it's really not about the money for me. So I guess my dream job is just somewhere where I'm involved in making music that reaches a lot of people and that that a lot of people enjoy, um, whether that's as a producer, as a mixer, as an artist, heck, mastering engineer, A&R. It doesn't matter to me. I just want to be involved in making the music that means a lot to a lot of people. Yeah, I love that. Because money is... Ugh, money. It's just... It sucks the life out of people. It really does. Having to worry about money all the time. Okay, so what's a quote that describes me? I'm not, I mean, I'm white, but I'm not that white, dude. I don't have like a live, laugh, love poster on my wall. Oh, no. I think you just said it. I'm white, but I'm not that white. That was good. <laughs> I hope that's not what describes me. <laughs> that's your quote. We're taking that as your quote. Oh, gosh. You can't take it back. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to pass on this question. I don't... I, again, I just don't that's have fair. quotes that I keep handy. 
That is fair. So if you had to pick a favorite album, what would it be? Oh, no. Um, <laughs> that's so hard, dude. Um, and again, it gets back into, like, my music taste changes so much. Like, I just love all sorts of different music. Like, I've been really digging Pet Sounds recently, um, which, like, who doesn't like Pet Sounds? I actually, I really like the um, the album that Shade came out with recently. I'm trying to remember what it was. I think Melt was the album title um, and also one of the tracks on the album. I think that actually, though, if I had to, like, if I had to pick a Desert Island album, I would probably pick, um, I think it's called This War Is Ours by Escape the Fate. Um, and it's such a, it's like such a trashy emo album from like 2010. Um, it's, it's just, it has not aged well at all. It's garbage, but like it, it was something that I listened to when I was a teenager and like all signs point to that being when our music taste sort of solidifies. And so it just, it's an album that meant a lot to me then. And it means a lot to me now as a result. Um, so that, if I could only listen to one album again, it would be that one, and I'd get real sick of it, but I'd be happy. That's fair. I feel like the, like, young, millennial, old, Gen Z area of humans is just like, man, when I was a teenager, I listened to some real trash. (laughs) But I loved every moment of it, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. So... Is there anything that you want to say that we didn't touch on thus far before we head out of here? I think that if there's anything that I could say just in general to people, given the opportunity to do so, it's that your life doesn't have to be perfect to be worth having. And that goes both in general and professionally as a musician. I think we yeah. found your quote. Yeah, that's her. I'll take it. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Sam. It's been awesome having you on here. Um, real quick, do you want to shout out um, how you give your lessons or how people can contact you in case anybody listening wants to learn from you? I think the, the best way to reach me is probably um, just at sounddesignerjeans at gmail.com. Um, so that's sounddesignerjeans at gmail.com. I, I might not get back right away, but I try to check that email fairly periodically, and it's what I use for my lessons. So is it jeans like science or jeans like blue jeans? No, jeans like, it's like designer jeans, but with the word sound in front. Okay. So it's kind of like a, it's a combination. <laughs> like the, my favorite email that I've ever heard. Thanks. Yeah. All right, Julianne, want to yeah. count us out? Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of Backbeat Conversations. Again, our guest this week has been Samantha Rivers. Uh, don't forget to check us out every week. We upload every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And this is loosely for college affiliated. Thanks, everybody. Yeehaw, my dudes. <laughs>